welcome to the Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, the spooktacular Boojit edition. My name is Brent Whitmire, I'm an editorial and features writer, and I'm here in the Journal Newsroom studio on Thursday, October 29th. Some scary stuff this week, right in time for Halloween. The NDP released its first budget, and spoiler alert, it's not a slasher. The proposed $6.1 billion deficit and the increased debt ratio was enough to scare credit agencies and to get people talking about ghosts of government past. We'll talk about that, plus David Dodge's suggestion that Alberta adopt a new toll system for its roads. As always on the press gallery, I promise no tricks, all treats. Here in the studio, desperately hoping to wrangle a few craft toffee squares, we have city columnist Paula Simons. Good morning, Brent Whitmire. Reporter Dan Barnes. Hello. And provincial affairs columnist Graham Thompson. Hello. You guys all look spooktastic. I mean, fantastic. Uh, One of the true joys of politics reporting is a budget lockup. I've never been a participant, but you get stuck in a room for hours. It sounds like a lot of fun. (laughs) Says the one person in the room who's never been in a budget lockup. (laughs) Uh, Dan, maybe you can tell me a bit about the mood there, what it was like. This was your second one you've been at? It was, and the the mood changes when the uh, sandwiches arrive. (laughs) I've been in lockups now twice for budgets and for award shows, and they're very similar. Hmm. But the payoff is slightly different. Uh, I sat beside uh, noted editorialist David Evans, who was, uh, as always, a bundle of fun. You get to see something that a lot of people want to see. You get to see it at 8 o'clock in the morning or 9 o'clock in the morning. The general public doesn't get a sniff of it until 3.15 when Joe Cece stands or whoever the finance minister happens to be. It's, uh, It's kind of a privilege, but it's a ton of work. For the uninitiated... Wading through the numbers is quite a mind boggle. Huh. So uh, that that's the toughest part. And that's why they usually provide a technical briefing, which is a wonderful thing, because you get access to the kinds of really senior finance officials that you don't always get to talk to as a reporter. I was not in the lockup this time, but I've, I've done them before. And, and of course, we should explain for people who don't understand the reason why you're locked in is because this is information that could have an impact on the markets. Hmm. And so it, it's not just that you sign an embargo document swearing that you're not going to be tweeting or, you know, letting your news desk about it know about it. But, but that's the other thing. Even the editors back here in the Edmonton Journal newsroom don't know what the people in the lockup are seeing. Hmm. So that's why we locked editor Kathy Kerr in this year as well. Graham, what, what were the numbers that stood out to you in this budget? <clears throat> it's interesting. You mentioned the uh, technical briefing we get us eight o'clock in the morning we go through it for an hour an hour and a half it's a ton of stuff in there there was a a, a, a bit more excitement this time I, I use the word carefully it's never really exciting <laughs> to cover a budget a lot of work as dan said but there's a sense from the ndp they were excited about this this is the first time they've been in government um we knew it was going to come in terms of the the spending roughly in a deficit but they were really excited about this and that, that did translate into a sense there's a shift in, in alberta politics and it wasn't until we got to the technical briefing, we got a chance to go into some more detail, when we realized they're not only borrowing to build schools mm-hmm. and hospitals, they're borrowing to pay the wages. And that was, I think, the biggest number that struck me is that as of next year, they're going to start to borrow money for operating, not so just capital. The, the sunny day savings are gone at... Yeah, the, the, the sustainability fund, sorry, the contingency account, it keeps yeah. changing names, <laughs> is now going to be drawn down. It was $6.5 billion to be drawn down to nothing by the end of next year, and they'll be starting to borrow money, $700 million next year, $3.3 billion the year after. That's $4 billion. That's not for capital. That's just to pay wages, keep the lights going on. 
And that, to me, was the biggest number that struck me because we haven't done that in Alberta in more than 20 years uh, since the Getty did it, Klein did it for a year, and then he, he ratcheted it back, began cutting. And I think it's something that <clears throat> even people who supported the NDP in the last provincial election might not have been prepared for because I don't think it's reasonable to think that the NDP could have balanced the budget with oil prices as they were. I mean, Alison Redford couldn't balance the budget when oil prices were sky high. So to expect the NDP to present a balanced budget, that would have been an impossibility. That would have required draconian cuts of a kind that not even the conservatives, I dare say not even the Wild Rose, would have been prepared to Derek Fildebrand himself would have trouble. I I, I think so. I mean, mean, there's no way, realistically, with oil at $42 a barrel, and and especially given that they're presenting the budget in October and not in March, that they could possibly have presented a balanced budget. That's just that... that, But but no one was saying they were going to present it. Nobody, not the the Wild Rose. The PCs, of course, had a $5 billion deficit in the budget they brought in. Didn't pass, though, back in March. This is a $6 billion deficit. Nobody was predicting or saying they could balance the budget. The Wild Rose couldn't do it. You're right. The, the thing is, it's the years going out. Like how yeah. soon before That's they right. can balance and, and it? It's, and it's the borrowing for expenses as opposed to capital. It's different to take out a mortgage to do an upgrade to your house. It's different to take out a mortgage to build an addition in your backyard than it is to buy your groceries on your credit card. And so I think that that is going to be the optical thing that's going to be a little trickier for the NDP to sell. You will find... A- uh, quite a number of economists, I think, that support the idea that they shouldn't get right back to a balanced budget right now because it is impossible. With oil where it is, it is impossible in this province. But it's the four or five, six-year horizon that they talk about, and that's fine. If, if you can plan your way out of this, I think economists will support that. But at the end of four years in this budget, the debt's going to be $36.6 billion. Yeah. I don't think there's too many economists who can wrap their heads around that and see that as a fine exit strategy. One of the reasons that they brought in David Dodge, the former governor of the Bank of Canada, former deputy finance minister, was to give them political and intellectual cover. To say, you know, it is okay to borrow money to build hospitals. Because the illusion that Ralph Klein eliminated the debt in this province, I mean, it's a lie. He eliminated the paper debt. But he did that by putting us into a deep infrastructure debt that we're still paying off. So there is a really good financial argument at a time when the economy is soft, when borrowing costs are at all-time record lows, and when we actually have construction workers available to be spending money now on major infrastructure. That is different than spending money on salaries. Dwayne Bratt, political scientist in Calgary, said there are three choices governments face in Alberta. One is draconian spending cuts, Ralph Klein. Two is provincial sales tax. And three is hope for oil prices to go up. And uh, (laughs) he says everybody but Klein has picked number three. So is that what we're stuck with in Alberta? It's ironic, isn't it? The uh, NDP has been complaining about the government spending and Mm -hmm. their finances for years is caught in the same bind because they're inheriting the same same, uh, mess, the same principles, because even though the NDP brought down a budget this week, it was really based on the old PC budget. We won't actually see a real NDP budget until next year when we start seeing things like uh, what what they're going to do with the royalty rates, what they're going to do with the um, climate change strategy. So yeah, they are hoping for oil to to bounce back one day. Uh, They're borrowing money, which is another way of saying we're hoping things are going to improve in the future. Mm -hmm. They weren't going to do draconian cuts. They ran on a campaign, election campaign, saying no draconian cuts. In fact, they're spending everywhere. There's not one department that I'm aware of that's actually going to see his budget cut. So they campaigned on that and won an election on the fact they weren't going to do uh, big cuts. Also, the provincial sales tax. 
uh, PST. It's also called a um, harmonized political suicide tax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <I'll put> <laughs> <laughs> because nobody could bring that in. And they, they keep saying, they keep getting pushed into that corner by the Wild Rose saying, you're going to raise, you're going to bring in a PST, aren't you? And they keep saying, no, we're not. So right now they're borrowing money, and that's another way of saying they're hoping the price of oil recovers. And you speak uh, of uh, David Dodge and his report. Definitely borrow money now, interest rates are low. He has a caveat in there as well, though. If the price doesn't recover in five years, we're in serious trouble. If we borrow at this rate, that's fine, as long as things recover. And Alberta's in a unique position because we, we rely so much on the price of oil. Other provinces don't. They know basically what's going to happen in the future in terms of taxation, whereas in Alberta we rely so much on this volatile oil price. If things recover in, in three or four years, we're good. If they don't, if it languishes for more than that, then we're in real trouble. And even David Dodge says that. You know, and, and it's very difficult to know. I mean, Bloomberg uh, had a big analysis last week from some guy who's predicting that oil will be at $130 a barrel by 2017. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, who knows? Oil could be at 30. It could be at 130. And the idea that we could diversify the economy in four years after, you know, 30 years of failing to be able to do that is also crazy. Yeah. But, you know, I have to say the Ralph Klein solution of draconian cuts to the public service, that would also have been disaster for, for this city in particular. You know, they are in a very unenviable position. I think, you know, one thing that is tough for Edmontonians to swallow is there's been a very clear political choice to make a lot of big buys in Calgary in an effort to shore up NDP support in Calgary, and it's hard for me to sit here. Oh, you're here. a cynic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, but you know, Calgary literally is getting about $4 billion in infrastructure investment in this budget, and Edmonton is getting $10 million for planning. But Calgary didn't get a minister. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I, I kind of knew that uh, I knew I knew uh, where Paula was going today in her column, where she called Edmonton sweetie. Whenever Paula calls anybody sweetie, they are in deep trouble. So, uh, um, what what do you think about this inequity? Are they looking four years down the road? Well, look at the facility that they're talking about. The cancer center is a big deal, right? And right? there's election promise. And well. the ring road, Edmonton's ring road is essentially built. Mm -hmm. Now it will be expanded in the southwest because the traffic there is a disaster they have to add at least one lane probably two they should add two uh so that's going to take some money so maybe some of that infrastructure money was earmarked for that but most of it certainly goes to calgary's ring road and the cancer center and those are worthy projects mm -hmm. and we happen to be a little bit ahead on the ring road so Suck it up. There is a certain realpolitik in what Dan is saying. Those are also things that Jim Prentice had promised Calgary. And, you know, it would have been very, very difficult for Notley to go back. You know, when I was speaking to people from Alberta Infrastructure yesterday, and I was saying, okay, so Calgary is getting close to $3 billion for ring road construction. They're getting close to $400 million for the cancer center. They're getting hundreds of millions in new money for flood mitigation. It's true, we didn't have a flood. It's true, our ring road is done. I said, but doesn't it look a bit weird? And they said to me, oh, but uh, Edmonton's getting the Royal Alberta Museum. Oh. <laughs> and I said, but that was at Stelmac's project. And Four said, premiers ago. Yeah, I think five premiers five ago. Premiers and ago. they said to me, well, but the money is flowing now. And I said, yes, because the museum's almost finished. 
I think what really also showed this week is how very, very green they are at managing their message. I mean, literally their staff were not prepared to answer media questions. They were running around yesterday like, like the proverbial chickens with their heads <laughs> cut off. Uh, and the only saving grace is that the Wild Rose Party seems equally unequipped to deal <laughs> with the media. I mean, Derek, Derek Fildebrandt stepped all over leader Brian Jean's moment. I mean, Brian Jean was having a good day. He was in the media spotlight talking quite eloquently about, you know, the, the flaws he saw in the budget. And at that moment, in the middle of a live scrum, Derek Fildebrandt chose to pick a fight with global reporter Carrie Tate for reasons that were completely baffling to, I think, everybody else who was watching. So between, you know, the Wild Rose who haven't quite figured out how to manage their press and the NDP government who haven't figured out how to manage their press, we in the press have had a very frustrating week. And I know nobody feels very sorry for us, but... Um... I feel sorry, sweetie. <laughs> you know, I go back to this idea, you know, Edmonton must get what Calgary gets. And I agree with Dan, like, suck it up. Um, you know, I, I do get tired of this. You know, they got that. We yeah. did the same thing. And that's been sort of the two by two. They call it Noah's Ark. <laughs> philosophy of politics in Alberta, which drove uh, Stephen Duckett crazy. He used to be the head of the Alberta Health Services, saying, yeah, i got to give one to the other, and it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, the NDP will see if they're actually trying to do things differently, not just continually knee-jerk give m the equal amount to Edmonton as you get to Calgary. If the need is greater in Calgary, give it to them. I imagine over the next two or three years before the next election, we will see money come back to Edmonton. Because, you know, the NDP is not that stupid. They're going to end up figuring out we're going to give it money to both. But they know the optics right now, and they realize that maybe they can uh, make people feel better in in two or three years and start giving more money to the hospitals in, in Edmonton. But, you know, it's hard. I mean, they campaigned vigorously about problems at the Misericordia and the Royal Alexandra Hospital. David Egan, when he was health critic, was the person leading the charge that something must be done urgently about the Misericordia Hospital. And what the Misericordia Hospital is getting in the next year's budget is $5 million for planning. You know, it, it is hard for them to step away from being the party that campaigned to say that this hospital was a hospital in crisis and then being the people who are, you know, in government now, it is much harder to be actually in government in many, many ways than it is to be in opposition. Well, of course, they're finding that it's, it's easy to be in opposition. Heck, it's our job to criticize people, <laughs> and we, we're not actually the ones to ask to actually then then figure out a solution. It's easy to criticize, and and they're realizing that. The, now, the, the NDP, I think it was Brian Mason told it with McLean's magazine, it's a lot tougher than I thought it was to be in government. <laughs> Which <laughs> is why it is. it's good that we should, you know, every 44 years have a changeover so people can develop a little empathy. Uh, Graham, you mentioned in your column today, I think that there's been, there's there's a level of civility also in the in the legislature. It seems this time around that yeah, we'll see how it how it works out. But I, I'm you know, comparing it back to a few years ago when you saw uh, Danielle Smith up against um, Alison Redford. It was a real personal animosity there. Wildrose was really angry, and they were slamming the government all the time. I think w we are seeing a bit more civilized behavior. First of all, they're all enjoying themselves. The vast majority of MLAs now are brand new. A lot of them didn't expect to be MLAs, and we know that the NDP won. You know, in the writings that we thought there's no way, and they thought they had no chance of winning. They both feel they get the high ground. Both Brian Jean is thinking the government has to be cutting and not spending more. Uh, it's a time for restraint, and, and he feels he's got a lot of support for that. And you've got Notley just as happy to say, no, this is the way to go. We're doing things differently. We are going to borrow money. People want that. We ran an election on that, and we're going to do really well moving forward. So they both feel they get the high ground. But I think also what's key here is that 
they're not going after the same constituency. And I think in the past, we've seen the Tories fighting the Wild Rose. That was a civil war, in a sense, for the conservative vote. And there's no war like a civil war. That was how it got so nasty with the conservatives fighting among themselves. Now you get the conservatives, clearly conservative, and you get this clearly NDP government, and they are running after different constituents. And I think that's another reason why we're not seeing the nastiness we saw even a few years ago. And of course, when Graham says conservatives, what he means are wild rose, because the actual conservative conservatives well, are... Small C. Yeah, I was thinking small C. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but yeah, but the actual big C, progressive conservatives, I imagine they're not quite so happy as all that. No, they're not. When they bring up issues, they get shot down really quickly by the NDP. You know, they'll bring up things like, you got to act really quickly on your climate change strategy. That was a news release. <laughs> <laughs> and of course... It is laughable. It's almost like a satire. So when they bring up issues, people kind of say, yeah, you were in power 44 years. You had a chance to do this. Go away. Every party that's lost power in Alberta has never come back, whether it's liberals, you know, farmers of Alberta, the uh, Socreds, never come back. And we saw the fundraising numbers for the uh, PCs come out the third quarter of this year. They raised $15,000. Liberals raised twenty nine thousand. Wow, that that shows you right that's, there. That's frightening. What was happening? Yeah. Well, is that the impact of the uh, none, none of your corporate friends? Yeah, there, there is that. You know, there's two things going on. A, they lost the election, um, but even the Wild Rose raised two hundred and thirty, two hundred and forty thousand dollars during that period. The NDP raised eighty two thousand, but they went on, on a, a fundraising holiday to tell people, "Look, don't give to us. Give to the federal NDP." So you can raise a lot of money despite the rules being changed where corporations cannot donate to political parties. And that happened, of course, in June. That's one reason the PCs are are losing, but also because they've lost the support of Albertans. MLAs should be having fun right now, though. They haven't been in the legislature very often. You know, (laughs) really. I mean, they were elected May 5th. They sat for how long? Oh, it's two weeks. Oh, yeah, it's a yeah. short sitting. The thing is, even when we have had short sittings in the past, they're, they're a bit more cynical bunch going go into there. There's a sense of renewal there, uh, both in the opposition and the government. They're both in there thinking, hey, we can make a difference here. And you really do get a sense that they're there to make a difference and to feel they can. I'd like to uh, segue into a, a different a different idea I mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, our colleague, David Staples picked up on something in David Dodge's report. Dodge is in favor of spending on infrastructure. We talked about that, but uh, he had the, raised the idea of toll roads. What do you guys think as as a as an idea? He was he raised the idea of toll roads in in a very certain context that you do it at the beginning of the construction of the road, not as a means of income generation for a road that's already been built. Right, because the rules change. If if a community and a government you know, they, they adopt the idea of a brand new highway and how do we pay for it? Well, toll, tolls are a reasonable idea up front. Mm-hmm. The back end, Dodge was very against anything on the back end of this. I happen to agree with him. If you build a toll road, let's build a toll road. Let's not freak people out by changing the rules once it's done. Let's announce it beforehand. You know, I think it would be a very tough sell in Alberta from a cultural perspective because I I think Americans, even right-wing Americans, are quite used to toll roads because that's that's a commonplace mechanism there and it just hasn't been the Alberta way. But of course, logically, it does make sense. If we want to spend more public dollars on public transit, there's a perfectly good intellectual argument to have people who use the road pay for the roads. The trouble with tolls is that it's not like a tax you pay once a year. It's a tax you pay every time you use the road. In the air tent, if you do it the old-fashioned way, putting money into a, 
uh, toll booth. The new way of doing it in Ontario is they take a picture of your license, so you don't even notice that, and you pay a, a, maybe a fee once a year. I think, I think David Dodge mentioned this. If you make people pay their income tax every week, <laughs> they're, they're <laughs> going to be really angry. <laughs> you do it once a year. Stay with the toll road. I think about toll road, though, it's fine if there's another way of getting around. If you're, in a sense, putting a road, like a, like a road to Fort McMurray as a toll road, that's a monopoly. Then people have no, no choice to get around that, and that's another re- reason why you don't bring in tolls. And I think Paul is right. It's a cultural mind shift, though, in this province. It wouldn't be as bad as a provincial sales tax, but you're getting there. All right, it's time for scary stuff from the gallery. I mean, good stuff from the gallery. Each week, we share something we've enjoyed, often but not always, with political connection. Uh, Dan gets a pass because he was asked to join this podcast 30 seconds before we started. But yeah, uh, is, And I don't like anything anyway. I, I, think, I think, you know, we should know that this is Dan Barnes' premiere mm, on the podcast. Yeah. And I think, you know... He, he's just as new as all those uh, all those NDP. Is there a <laughs> gift? I don't know. I think, I think there should be like a... There's some excitement. I think Brent's buying you coffee yeah, after this. Sure. I think I owe you. Paul, all right. Paul, so uh, just moments before we came in to record this, uh, Paul Ryan was elected Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. And so I wanted to recommend a profile the New Yorker wrote on him back in 2012, which I read at the time it came out and I think is well worth rereading now as mm-hmm. we understand who Paul Ryan is. Uh, the New Yorker called their headline the piece Fuss Budget and it's a look at Paul Ryan's impact on the thinking of the Republican Party. I think that you know we need to understand how important the speaker's role is in American politics and, and this piece from the New Yorker was you know one of their deep dive profiles. It's a very good read. Hmm. Graham. Um, I'm recommending the people go online, Alberta Finance, you can get the budget there. We, we talk a lot about it. <laughs> That's some good reading. <laughs> it is. But, you know, we talk a lot about it, and we were in the lockup, well, so-called lockup. You can get to walk around the building, not actually in a room locked up. Um, but it's all there. You know, people want to see more details. And it's not a bad read. It's not that hard to understand the budget. It's a lot of figures. And if you even want to read the summary, you can, the, the first chapter gives you an idea of, of what's going on with this government, what the spending is all nice charts and graphs so i think mm. we've spent a lot of time talking about it people want to see for themselves you can go into alberta finance webpage and the budget's all there great that's a good idea uh, my good stuff comes from the walrus where wob canoe uh, wrote a piece last week it was last saturday called united nation and this is in the aftermath of the federal election he thanks his his own people the ojibways of onigaming uh, First Nation in, in Ontario for their high voter turnout. And uh, it's just an in- inspiring kind of read and an interesting perspective we don't usually hear about Indigenous issues. Previous episodes of the Press Gallery are at edmontonjournal.com slash opinion or at Edmonton Journal SoundCloud feed. The show pops up most Friday afternoons and can be retrieved via iTunes, TuneIn Radio, and the Edmonton Journal website. We're all on Twitter. You should also check out the Journal's Facebook page. Thank you, Paula, Dan, and Graham, for joining me in the newsroom studio. Tune in next time when we'll discuss Christmas. I'm just because Halloween's over. Uh, that's all for now from the press gallery. Thanks for listening. <laughs>